Amen, amen. Isn't that good? How many of you are ready for the word today? I want to talk to you about a trap. How many of you know the devil lays traps? Right? That's kind of what he does. But I want to talk to you about a trap we don't often think about. And uh, it's a trap that we get into with our speech, with uh, our tongue. Uh, How many of you can testify, my tongue got me in trouble this week? The rest of you, see, you're lying right now. Your tongue just got you in trouble. What we do is we fall into the trap of complaining. Now, I'm going to point to me. When I do this to you, I got three pointing back at me. Uh, Because we all do it. We we fall in the trap of complaining. Things don't go our way. You know, it's 110 degrees out. We're in rush hour traffic. And, you know, complaining just kind of happens. We complain about our jobs, complain about our spouses, complain about ourselves, complain about our paycheck, which sometimes I totally understand. You know, you complain about it. But I want to show you Uh, some very interesting passages in the Bible about this trap of complaining. And then I want to just share today how to avoid the complaining trap, because it's a real trap. It'll steal from you. It'll rob you. It'll take advantage of you and you will lose if you fall into that complaining trap. And so let's look at what the Bible says. First Corinthians 10 verse one, brothers and sisters, I want you to know what happened to our ancestors who were with Moses when they came out of Egypt. They were all under the cloud, and they all walked through the sea, the cloud of protection, that is, and the sea divided for them. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food, which was manna, and they all drank the same spiritual drink, which was water from the rock. They drank from that spiritual rock that was with them, and that rock that followed them in the wilderness was Christ. But God was not pleased with most of those people, so they were killed in the desert. Verse 6, these things happened to them. Now, I want you to catch this. As a matter of fact, read these next few words with me. And these things that happened are examples for us. Now, tell your neighbor, that means you. And that means me. So Paul is pulling something out of the Old Testament. And he's saying it's not just a story in the Old Testament. But this is written. The Holy Ghost moved on Moses to write about this as examples for us under the new covenant. So, all right. These examples should stop us from wanting evil things like those people did. Then he Share some of those evil things. Verse 7, don't worship idols as some of them did. As the scriptures said, the people sat down to eat and drink and then got up to have a wild party. Everybody say nothing new. Verse 8, we should not commit sexual sins as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died because of their sin. Say, thank you, Jesus. I'm no longer under the old covenant. There'd be a lot of dead people, not many people in church. Verse 9, we should not test Christ, as some of them did. Because of that, they were killed by snakes. Verse 10, and don't, what? Complain, as some of them did. And because they complained, what? Am I reading this right? Read it with me, everybody. They were killed by the angel that destroys, like I said, 
Thank God we're no longer under the old covenant. Because there wouldn't be anybody here in church, including me. Right? They were killed. Complaining got them. Verse 11. Here he repeats. The things that happened to those people are examples. They were written to be warning. Uh, warnings for who? Us. We live in the time that all those past histories were pointing to. So anyone who thinks they are standing strong should be careful that they don't fall. Now, Lord, thank you for your word today. It cuts, it edifies, it exhorts, it comforts us. Uh, help us, Lord, to curb the complaining habit. And, Lord, to, to literally be delivered of it. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, don't complain. Now, neighbor, tell them back. You too. <laughs> uh, now, in these passages, the Apostle Paul is bringing attention to the sins that kept God's people out of the promised land. I want you to think about this. They were called to go into the promised land. They traveled 40 years in that wilderness when geographically they could have traversed the whole landmass in two weeks. Isn't that sad? They could have made it in two weeks. I mean, I read that and I go, oh, help me, Lord. Because 40 years just going in circles instead of just going straight across in two weeks. What was the problem? Well, we just read what their problem was. They didn't trust God. They kept on sinning. They wouldn't be obedient, so on and so forth. Now, through the sins listed, they were robbed of God's highest purpose for them. All right? And of all the sins mentioned, one of them particularly stands out as something you and I might not think was all that important, but it was the sin of complaining. He literally he puts complaining in there with all the sexual sins, partying, all that other stuff. He puts complaining in there. So you think, wow, that seems out of place, like not that big a deal. And don't complain as some of them did. Because this was written for us. So there must be something to complaining. Now, it comes from a Greek word. And I'm going to give you the word. I don't usually do this. But there's a, there's a reason I'm giving it to you. It's gongizo. Gongizo. Everybody say gongizo. When you go to your restaurant today and the waitress comes up, say gongizo. She'll say, what's that? It's a Greek word. I was in church today. It's impressive. But... I want you, it's, it's what you call an onomatopoeia. And you say, what is that? It's when the word sounds like what it describes. I'll give you another onomatopoeia. Hissing. Hiss. The snake hissed. It sounds like what it's describing. So it's an onomatopoeia. Now you've really learned something. But, but this word, complaining, uh, sounds like murmuring, gongizo, 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 or muttering, or grumbling in muffled undertones. It, it reflects smoldering under the surface discontent. Kids do this all the time. You know, you say something they don't like, and they walk away, oh, gong, I'm not stupid, gongizo. And then you say, what'd you say? I didn't say anything. But that's the idea. Don't, don't complain, don't murmur or mutter or grumble. Uh, 
Don't walk in a spirit of discontent where it comes out of your mouth. Watch your complaining under your breath, droning in a low murmur. We do it. I do it. I've done it. I don't think this week, but I've sure done it recently. You do it without thinking. Now, the reason Israel was complaining, why would they be complaining? The Red Sea parted from them and the whole bit. Why were they complaining? Because they had been brought out of a place of daily food and daily provision, even though they had been slaves and they had brought it, been brought into a wilderness of want. Always, they were without water, had to believe God for it. They were without food, had to believe God for it. God gave them manna. God gave them water out of the rock. But it was always sort of a semi-911 situation, especially with the water. Like, we don't have any water. And God would tell Moses to strike a rock or whatever, and it would come gushing out. But it was always something where the miraculous had to happen for them to be provided for. And to make matters worse, getting to the promised land was taking a whole lot longer than they thought. And so they were starting to complain and murmur under their breath. Gongizo, gongizo, stupid Moses, get me out here, I'm dying out here. Gongizo. So they began to complain against their leaders. Isn't it interesting, when things go bad, you always look to your leaders and blame them. In fact, the Bible records, get this, Israel provoked God 14 times with complaining. 14 times with major breakouts of complaint. And Numbers 11.1 says, when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. When they murmured under their breath, complained, griped, it, it displeased the Lord. And this was written for us, for me, for you. Now Israel's issue wasn't really with Moses. It wasn't with Aaron. It was ultimately with God himself. And I, and I want us to catch this today. They were angry and discontented with God. It boiled down to this. They just didn't trust him. When you and I complain, if you stop and think about it, what we're doing is we're expressing a lack of trust in God's presence in our lives. We are. If you just think it through. Uh, because he's put me here. He's allowed me to be in this. Um, you know, where's God? Why am I going through this? And Gongizo, gongizo, gongizo. And we complain. And trusting God or not is the bottom line issue with complaining. So we're basically saying, I resent the, the hand that God has dealt me. That's where complaining comes from. I resent the hand that God has, I resent my circumstances. I resent my job. I resent this, that, and the other. We resent where God has allowed us to be. The children of Israel might just as well have looked up and said, I don't trust you. That was their whole problem. That's what kept them on this side of the Jordan. It's why they died in the wilderness, because they could not, would not, did not trust God. It just came down to that. Nothing complicated. I don't trust him to feed me. I don't trust him to clothe me. I don't trust him to get me to my destination. I don't trust him to get me water. I don't trust his leadership. I don't trust him. That was it. And the consequence is really something. They were destroyed. After the 14th complaint session, God said, that's it. You're not going to cross over. 
And they were shut out of the land of promise. Isn't that sad? 40 years wandering. They could have made it in two weeks. Even after 40 years, they didn't make it. And it came down to not trusting God, complaining, complaining, griping, moaning, muttering, mumbling. God said, that's it. Now, in, in modern day society, complaining is really not that big a deal, is it? In fact, let me just tell you the truth. Can I be truthful today? Yes, Pastor Jeff, you can. Amen. Some of you are thinking, I don't know if I want you to be truthful. This is kind of heavy. All right, watch this. In modern day society, complaining is really not that big a deal. We've become a whole nation of whiners and complainers. Have you noticed that? Now, can I remind you in Romans 1, it tells us that one of the earmarks of a society in decline is they no longer are thankful. They no longer are thankful. It says in Romans 1, they were, they were not thankful talking about the declining culture. They were not thankful. They did not thank God. They were not thankful people. Well, if you're not thankful, then here's what you are. You're you're a complainer instead. You're a whiner. And we're a nation of whiners now. Has anybody noticed this? Are you really sick and tired of hearing people whine and complain about how terrible America is? How terrible things are? Constantly griping, murmuring, complaining, grumbling about getting our rights, not being happy with this, that, and the other, and so on. We protest, we criticize, we scream, we yell, we find fault about how things aren't the way we think they should be, or that we, for some reason, somehow deserve better, because after all, we're so wonderful, and we become the opposite of thankful. We've got a nation of whiners. Have you listened to college kids lately? I'm not slamming college kids. I'm just pointing something out. Have you listened to them lately? Whining, complaining about everything. This entitlement mentality. Um, Thankfulness, gratitude has faded and gone the way of the dodo bird in America. And that's one of the earmarks of a declining, dying Fading culture, you forget to be thankful. You're no longer thankful. You don't have any gratitude for anything. Now, Paul warns against falling into a critical, complaining spirit, which is an overall attitude that eventually dominates the complainer. He says complaining is damaging to the complainer, and it opens the door for attack from the destroyer because it says when they got into this complaining over and over and over again, chronic complainers, after the 14th time, the destroyer came in. So it opened them up to attack. Amen. Now, in honor of full transparency, I got to tell you why I'm preaching on this. This week, I had a little thing happen in a restaurant. I'm going to be real honest with you. Cindy and I went to a restaurant. It was an, a landmark restaurant. Uh, really, if you live in Fort Worth, you ought to go to this restaurant even, at least once. And you say, well, what was it? I'm not going to tell you. Because <laughs> I don't want you to know where this happened. But we, we were seated at a booth, and this older couple was seated right next to us. They came in, they sat down, and the man immediately began to complain. I mean, I, he's right here. I couldn't help it. He found fault with everything. This man. He, he badgered the poor little waitress, who I ended up tipping double when our meal was done because he didn't leave her anything. 
and she took a lot of flack from him. So I gave her his tip. I'm just telling you I did. I felt for her. And I even told her, I called her over to myself and said, you got something I don't have. I would have, I would have dumped the hash browns in his lap. This, this lady just took it and took it. And she was really impressive. I said, where do you go to church? <laughs> and so, but he criticized the food. He criticized the renovation of the premises. The, the premises have been renovated. They look great, but he couldn't, he criticized everything. He criticized the amount of hash browns on his plate, which is when I would have turned them over into his lap. And here's how he left. Me and Cindy, we're just sitting here He's right. It's right here. You can't help but hear it. And, and we're sitting here. And, and then he says, this is the biggest waste of $30 for a breakfast I've ever spent. We won't be back. I wanted to say, hallelujah. <laughs> it, it reminded me of something I once read. The person who's always finding fault seldom finds anything else. Amen. I turned over to Cindy about halfway through this scene, and I said, I bet he's fun at home too. <laughs> now, now, my guess is this man was a chronic complainer. He sees everything through a jaded eye, always noting the negatives, never praising the positives. He's a chronic complainer. And I want to tell you something about him. I don't know him at all. Don't want to know him. I, I mean, I tell him about Jesus, but it would stop there because I'm, I'm going to tell you this. He's not happy because I've never known a happy complainer. Have you? I've never known a happy complainer. I know all kinds of happy thankers. But I've never known a happy complainer. They're complaining because they're not happy. The danger is if you hang around a complainer long enough, you're going to learn their ways and become one yourself. Because I was watching his wife. She didn't do anything to stop him. She didn't do anything. Honey, that's enough. Leave the poor lady alone. Uh, She was a great waitress. The wife didn't do anything. I got to thinking, well, she's probably already been polluted by his complaining. So her silence is telling us she's good with it because it's contagious. It's the contagion of complaining. It's contagious. Have you ever noticed that that somebody excited, if you hang around them long enough, is going to get you excited? Have you ever noticed that somebody angry, you hang around long enough, they're going to make you an angry individual? that's why it matters who you run with it matters who you hang with it matters who you make your friends because i want to be around positive faith-filled jesus-loving people Um, i'll get around the other kind enough to share jesus with them but i'm not going on vacation with them right Complainers are always looking for somebody to join their unhappy party. They're never happy to complain alone. And after time, you give them enough time, they're going to form a complaint club. Complaint clubs spring up in businesses. You can even have a complaint club at home, in churches. The contagion of complaining spreads. It's a virus. It's a, it's a disease, a mental it's a mental attitudinal affliction. The complaint club's motto is nothing is as it should be, including you. This is wrong, that's wrong, this isn't up to par, this or that leader aren't doing things the way they should be done. I could do it better, faster, more efficiently, and on it goes. And the contagion of complaining 
eventually grieves away the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, like say in a church. Now you say, well, are you preaching this for a reason here? No. What this is, is this is a shot. Uh, what do you call it? A, uh, like you get a flu shot so you don't get the flu. I'm preaching this so it doesn't happen here. Because we want to reach the world like I just showed you. And that's going to take unity and love and forgiveness and, and, and seeing the good things and harping on them. Amen? Amen. Soon the business or the family or the church infected with the contagion of complaining withers and wilts, I guarantee you, because it grieves away the Holy Spirit. That's why James warns. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so you yourselves may not be judged. I'm going to read that again. Now, it's not telling us don't judge the right or wrong of a message or a doctrine or a teaching. It's saying don't complain against one another so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. So that says that that God watches the way we do each other. Yeah, well, it's quiet in here. You could hear a pin drop on a shag carpet in this room. See, I want you and me to be blessed. I don't want you just blessed here. I want you blessed in your everyday life. I want your home blessed. I want your marriage blessed. I want your, your relationship with your kids blessed. I want, I want you to be a blessed person. So I'm just showing you a little pitfall on, on the road of life, and it's this complaining pit, this complaining trap. Complainers fall into a trap of their own making to finally become nothing but, like this man, a murmuring, mumbling, grumbling personality nobody wants to be around. What starts as minor complaining eventually becomes, listen now, complaining becomes a habit. Just like blessing becomes a habit, complaining becomes a habit, a way of life, an inward snare that holds the complainer tight in a chokehold of misery. That's what complaining does. John Mason writes this. A complaining spirit is first a caller, then a guest, and finally a master. Used to be a thing in retail stores. I remember seeing one called a a customer complaint desk. How many of you would love that job? (laughs) Customer complaint desk. (laughs) Wow. Where a hapless employee would be hired to feel complaints from dissatisfied customers. I don't see any of those anymore. But they've actually come up with a software program now designed just to handle angry, discontented customers and their complaints. Because a software program is the only thing in this world that can take it. (laughs) And I was thinking about this recently and how some people, they spend all their lives at the complaint counter of life. Always complaining. So we find the Bible telling us, giving us good wisdom, do all things without complaining. Can we say that together? Do all things without complaining. Let's do it one more time just for good measure. Do all things without complaining and disputing or fighting that you may become blameless and harmless. Children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. The, The thought is we don't shine real good if we're complaining. So to avoid spending too much time in the complaint counter, I want to tell you how to counter the complaints. Amen. I thought that was witty. I'm just throwing it out there. Hope you remember it. How do you counter the complaints? How do you overcome a complaining spirit? First, 
you got to trust the sovereignty of God in your circumstances. Now, I want you to catch this. What does sovereignty mean? When we talk about God's sovereignty, what are we saying? It means he's in charge of everything, including me and you. God's in charge. When you say God is sovereign, how many of you believe God is sovereign? And he does whatever he wants because he's God. Amen? He doesn't need me to say something, make a right confession or whatever to move. He moves in the world all the time because he is sovereign. He's a sovereign God. So since he's sovereign, it means nothing can hinder his plan for you and me. Nothing. Uh, history is going to be worked out according to his will. I want you to listen to this verse. He, Ephesians 1.11. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. He chose us in advance. Now listen to this last part. He makes everything work out according to his plan. That's talking about his sovereignty. Everything. Jesus is coming back no matter what men do. No matter what the devil does. Because God's already decreed. Jesus is coming back. But here's the deal. If he's sovereign over the universe, he's sovereign over you and me. And that means, that means some good things. The positive result of stopping and thinking, all right, what's going on around me, God has allowed it. I am where I am today because this is where he's allowed me to be today. If he wanted me somewhere else, he'd have moved me today or before today. Uh, you're in Turning Point Church today because he let you be. Right? Now, here's how it helps. You're in rush hour traffic. My, I hate it more than almost anything. And I had a lot of it this week because they had 35 down to two lanes. And I always want to talk to the city leaders when that happens. Why'd you do this in the middle of the day? But anyway, that's another thing. That's complaining. <laughs> but here's the deal. You're sitting there in rush hour traffic you're going five miles an hour and you start stewing. But if you stop and think, God's allowed me to be here. God's allowed me to be here. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to rest in him, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. I'm just going to rest in him because he's allowed me to be here. He's sovereign. He's allowed me to be here today. If he wanted me somewhere else, I'd be somewhere else. He's sovereign. The Bible says in everything we should give thanks. How can you give thanks in everything? When you trust the sovereignty of God. He didn't say give thanks for everything because everything is not of God. The devil coming at you is, is, is not of God. Sickness is not of God. Uh, terrible things that happen in this world are not of God. But I can thank him in it. Why? Because he's in charge of my life. He's in charge of my life. No matter what's going on, God's sovereignty says God is still in control. Amen. Come on, everybody. So, so it gives a certain peace when you stop there and say again and rush hour traffic. And there you are going nowhere fast. And it's called an expressway. What happened to that? And so there you sit. And it so helps if you go, okay, I, I can get angry. Or I can trust the sovereignty of God. He's allowed me to be here. He's here with me right now. So what can I do productive right now? Because God is with me. I trust God's sovereignty.
Did you know that he's so involved in the affairs of your life and mine, he busies himself with every step we take? The Lord directs his, the steps of the godly, David wrote. He delights in every detail of their lives. Think about this verse. The Lord directs your steps even when you don't know it. You know, when we meet somebody, so that was a divine encounter. You're exactly right. It was a divine encounter. You met somebody, you go, wow, wow. Yesterday, I went way, 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 way out past Peaster to look at a house that a family member is building. I walk up. I walk up into the house. I'm, I'm over an hour away. I walk up into this house. I wasn't even going to go yesterday. The thought dropped into me, go to that house and tell them, you're building a great and a beautiful house. I go in and I met the builder. The builder says, you're Jeff Wickwire? And I said, yes. I go to your church. He's right there. Stand up, brother. <laughs> He's right there. <clears throat> and, and the first thing out of my mouth was, this is a divine encounter. And you know what? I was exactly right. Because the Lord ordered my steps when I didn't even know it. See, he's sovereign. Everybody say he's sovereign. If you're walking with him and you've given your life to him and you're submitted to him, he busies himself with every step you take, whether or not you're aware of it. When I trust in God's sovereignty over my life, I can thank him for working all things together for the good, even the tough stuff, and I avoid complaining. I avoid complaining. I'm not going to complain. God has me here. I trust God. Now, a second thing that helps us avoid complaining is finding God's message in the mess. Finding God's message in the mess. Uh, you know, it says about Jesus, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Well, what was he when he was here? He was called rabbi, teacher. He's always teaching. So he's the same now. So I'm going to submit to you today that <clears throat> when you're in circumstances that are testing you and trying you, and you're struggling over the sovereignty issue, stop and think, what's the message from God to me in the mess? Think about Joseph. Betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery, lied about with a scandalous lie, accused of rape, thrown into prison, torn away from family, home and homeland and literally left to rot in obscurity by his brothers if anybody could have devolved into complaining all day every day it would have been joseph he could have become a master complainer because he had all kinds of things in the natural he could have complained about but he didn't god delivered him vindicated him uh, made him second only to Pharaoh in the most powerful kingdom on the earth. And in his later years, talking to his brothers who had betrayed him once he had been reconciled with them, he made a statement that shows me and you that he had found the message in the mess. He said, you meant it evil against me. God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result. Listen now, to keep many people alive. Joseph believed in God's sovereignty. In the natural, you and I watching the events of his life, we would say his brothers betrayed him, his brothers sent him to Egypt. But the psalmist says 
God sent Joseph. God sent Joseph. He was using the evil in people to work out his will. He didn't make them evil, but he used their evil. And he sovereignly got Joseph where he wanted him. And Joseph believed in sovereignty. And he finally, somewhere along the way, all those years he was in obscurity and in jail, he discovered the message in the mess. I'm going to raise you up, Joseph. My hand is on you. I'm giving you favor everywhere you go. In Potiphar's house, I'm giving you favor. In the prison, I'm giving you favor. But one day he came out, faced Pharaoh, interpreted his dream, and suddenly he's promoted a second only to Pharaoh on the whole land, and it hit him like a brick. God has his hand on me, and all of this, the message in the mess, is that he was putting me here so that all these Hundreds of thousands of Egyptians would not die in a terrible famine. But even more importantly, my family, the 12 sons of Jacob, the future of the Hebrew race that would bring forth Messiah has been saved from starving to death so that one day Jesus can come. Amen. Come on, everybody. He's sovereign. He's sovereign. Have you found the message in your mess? Let me, let me tell you what you do. When you're in a mess, and most of us are in one pretty often, when you are in a mess, you're hurting. You're wondering where God is. Somebody's hurt you, betrayed you, walked out on you, things haven't gone well, you've lost a job, whatever. Have you ever, has it occurred to you to stop, and I've got to remind myself of this, and say, Lord, what are you teaching me? What are you teaching me? And there has never, ever been a time I've prayed that prayer that God did not say something to me, reveal something to me, and teach me, and give me a message in the mess. And when I find the message, it delivers me from complaining. Right? I got one more. If you can take one more. Here we go. You got to remember your manna jar. What do you mean by that? I'm glad you asked. In Exodus 16, God instructs Moses to save a jar of manna for future generations so they could see how the Lord had provided for the people in the desert. So he got a, a, a jar. He put two quarts of manna in it and he put it in the Ark of the Covenant. And every time they looked at that jar full of manna, they were reminded of God's fingerprints on their past he provided back then he delivered back then he guided back then he got me where he wanted me to go back then I never went without back then and if he did it back then he'll do it again don't ever forget everybody say don't forget because God says the same thing to you and me. I don't have a manna jar, but I have memories. That's my manna jar. And, and you got to pull those memories out because we're inclined, all of us are inclined to grumble, be thankless, complain about our circumstances. And we're to remind ourselves of all the things God has done. Remember how God protected you from making shipwreck of your life? Remember how God graciously let you grow up in a godly family? 
Remember how he awakened you to the reality of your sin and you got saved? Remember how you walked away from that terrible car crash when you should have died? You remember how you had mentors and key friends God brought along in your life to help you grow? Remember how he sustained you during that season of unemployment? Do you remember how God miraculously healed you, delivered you, helped you, sanctified you, set you free, put you on the right path? Remember how God miraculously brought money to you when you were out of money? Somebody was touched by God to give you something. You remember how the gospel came alive to you and you were saved? You got to reach into that manna jar. Reach into that manna jar. And say, oh yeah, I remember, I remember. Because when you remember the goodness of God and the fingerprints of God all over your life. My life has so many fingerprints from God. I'm standing before you covered in fingerprints. Amen. And so are you. You're a trophy of the grace of God. His fingerprints are all over your life. Look at you. You're in church today. There were times you didn't think you'd ever go back, but you're back. The fingerprints of God are on your life. Stand with me, would you? And when you do that, how can you complain? Because watch this. If you're thanking, you can't be complaining. And if you're complaining, you can't be thanking. So say with me, to avoid complaining, trust God's sovereignty. Amen. Find the message in the mess. And remember your manager, your memories of what God has done. And you won't complain. You will not complain. You'll trust. Can we put our hands up in the air? And say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Forgive us, Lord, for so often complaining. Complaining about things that we shouldn't be complaining about. Because look, Lord, what you've done. Look what the Lord has done. We wouldn't even be here but for the grace of God. We'd be lost in our sin and going straight to a devil's hell but for the grace of God. Forgive us, Lord, for running off at the mouth. Starting with me. Forgive us, Lord, for forgetting the goodness of God. For not trusting the sovereignty of God, the care of God, the providence of God. Forgive us, Lord, and help us this week to curb the complaining and to thank and remember and have gratitude and focus on the good things that surround us, that are mercy drops from heaven. I sense the Holy Spirit here today. Holy Spirit is just touching us right now. Thank you, Lord.
Thank you, Lord. I want you to take a minute and cast your cares upon the Lord. The money stress. The marital stress. The temptations knocking on the back door trying to get into your life. Lord, we just thank you that you take all of our cares off of us. Every burden we roll upon the Lord and we leave it there. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yes, Lord. Let's lift our hands and do so. Oh, thank you, Lord. Oh, thank you. just want to thank you, Lord. Can we sing it again? Let's just really mean it from our heart now. Thank you, Lord. Oh, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. I want to thank Clap your hands, all you people. Give unto, give a shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Well, I just so sense His presence. I hesitate to close, but I, I have to. Not complaining. I'm just saying I have to. How many of you needed this today? Amen. Amen. I want to personally thank that man for giving me a good sermon. The one that was at the table, not him. The one that was at the table next to us. Because I turned to Cindy and said, I got a message for Sunday right here. Thank you, sir. Amen. Um, Wednesday night, I'm going to be teaching on a deep dive into understanding the Bible. I want our church to know the Word of God. So that'll be Wednesday night, 7 o'clock. And um, quickly, one last thing. If you want to watch me on To Every Man and Answer, if you want to see it on Facebook or YouTube, all you got to do is go to our webpage and, and click on Watch Live. Wednesday evening at 5. Wednesday evening. Now, Tuesday, I'm, I'm hosting this Tuesday and Wednesday both. I'm hosting. So I'll be there Tuesday as well. So if you want to go on at 5 o'clock, just go to our webpage. Watch live. You can watch uh, the live broadcast of answering Bible questions from around the country. You can call in a question. Every once in a while, I'll say, hello, from Fort Worth. What can we do for you? Hello, Pastor Jeff. I go to your church. I've got this question. I haven't been able to get to you in the altar, but here's a good time. 
and they ask. But if you want to watch it, it's pretty cool because we're, we're taking questions from around the country. So 5 o'clock Tuesday and Wednesday evening, and uh, it'll be good. Love you guys. I love you in the Lord. I want some prayers to come down. And let's remember, we're taking up the offering for the Kathy Wickwire Scholarship Fund. Can we pray over it, Father? Kathy is with you. But I know she would be completely behind her memory being used to send people to Bible school. Help us, Lord, today to know what to give. And thank you, Lord, that there's going to be enough for us to scholarship every student. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I love you in the Lord. Father, bless the people as they go. In Jesus' name, if you need prayer, take advantage of these prayers down here. Lock hands with them and lock faith with them, and they'll agree with you. Amen. So God bless you as you go. We love you. Drive carefully and don't complain. Amen.